So today I want to start with grace. And uh, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And again, I changed. Uh, it was supposed to be 8 through 10, but there's too much in here. So I have to do one verse next Sunday. Sunday after that, I'll have no verses and try to preach for 30 minutes. But uh, no, never, never, never will I not have scripture in the pulpit. But anyway, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He wrote it in between 60 and 61 AD, depending on late spring or late fall, early spring, depending on how you view it. I know many of you stay up at night worrying about this. But uh, anyway, uh, place was Rome. Paul was in prison. The purpose was to encourage and challenge his hearers to live worthy of their calling. Now, the verse that we're getting into today is a wonderful two verses. It also presents a problem. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. This verse can become problematic if it's taken out of context. And verse 10 clarifies what that context is. So in other words, you may have somebody that said, I trusted in Jesus Christ when I was seven years old. And they're in their 50s or 60s, and they've never darkened the doorstep of a church. That has to be called into question. Sometimes you can have an emotional moment where it doesn't mean anything. But what Paul is addressing here is those people who have truly trusted in Jesus Christ. Those who had an encounter metaphorically with Jesus at the cross, they invited him into their heart, and he now lives in them. And Paul wants to write to assure them that they are secure and that how salvation is dealt with in the realm of now and futuristic. And all three of these verses will come into play. But let's look at, first of all, Salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace. And he mentions here this word saved. But I want to go back and look at uh, grace just for a minute. Horus. That's the Greek word here for horus. It means to show kindness. So if we read it this way, for by God's kindness. Some people will uh, live their Christian lives as if God is angry with them over something that happened way back yonder. I see people beat themselves up over maybe poor decisions in the, in the past where there were tragic consequences or monumental consequences, and yet they, they carry this their whole Christian life. Let me say this. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the past is gone. That is under the blood of Christ. You never have to carry that again. You may have guilt associated with it, but I'll tell you this. The guilt does not come from God. The guilt comes from Satan, who says, you need to carry this because God did not forgive this. And I, I've seen this in you know, 34 years, people carrying stuff that they should let go of. And then there's the right view. The wrong view is, Somehow God is angry with me, and therefore I have to do this, that, or the other to make recompense for what happened back yonder. But then there's the correct view. You ready for this? God loves you. 
God loved you when you went to the cross and invited Christ into your heart. He loves you. That is the correct view. You stand now under this great umbrella of grace. And that grace, like the song, God's goodness is running after, running after me, it's always under the umbrella of grace. For those who have truly trusted in Jesus Christ, you are under the grace of God. Um, the next thing that Paul mentions here is sozo, which is the word saved. And that means to cause somebody to experience divine salvation. So if, if you will for a minute, God is coming down and inside the believer, he is, he is putting his spirit, forcing them, if you will, when they receive Christ, to experience divine salvation. I remember that day the army chaplain led me to saving faith. It was just a little old Bannon chapel, smaller than this place, and uh, they used it in the, when troops went to the field. And I just remember that day being so excited because all the things that my grandmother Porter and my grandmother Fraser said uh, came to fruition on that day. This is also, and it may not mean much to you, but it means a lot to me, it's a perfect passive verb. And what that means is, it was an action that happened in the past, a one-time action, which is continually going to the present. So in other words, when you're saved, you're not only saved the day you trust in Jesus Christ, that salvation continues through under the great umbrella of grace. And you never outrun that grace. And there's times we're going to fail, we're going to fall, we're going to stumble, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to sin. But I'm telling you that when you've truly trusted in Christ, the day that you did business with God and meant it in your heart, and he puts the Spirit in your heart, and you experience that divine salvation, you never outrun that salvation. It is secure. And in that, we can praise God. Now, Paul uses Ephesians 2.8 in what I call the Holy Trinity. Well, we know God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But we also have grace, we have saved, and we have faith. It is what is the perfect uh, triad contained just in this little section of Scripture. Uh, I don't know if you all know this, well... This is, the, this is the whole basis of it. Uh, God's grace comes in. He saves us. And that happens. I'm supposed to stay behind this line because they're having trouble keeping me on the screen when I go too far. So God's grace comes down, saves us, and the vehicle by which that happens in just a minute will be faith. I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, gentleman, Stuart B., uh, back three years ago, it was a big event. He got uh, in his boat, and he took off, and his boat capsized. And for four days, he was at sea. 86 miles, his boat drifted out deeper and deeper and deeper into the ocean. 
Let me show you what it looked like when they rescued him. Look at him hanging on right here. The boat capsized. The waters are dangerous. 86 miles from the coast of Florida. They are frantically looking for this guy because after so many days, you slip into the water. Hypothermia sets in and you die. Look at his face. You saved me. When he got on the boat, he was so excited to see them. It was like, it was like he was saved, kind of like us, like the day that we got saved and we were so excited. God rescued us from the sea of sin and he brought us into the boat and we were redeemed and we're so excited. And then we let life hit us. Sometimes it may be good to go back to the moment we were saved. If you want to get energized again, remember from the desperate position that you came from and that I came from. God reached down in the sea of despair, pulled us out by his grace, put us on the boat of salvation, gave us spiritual food and life. And sometimes it's good to go back and revisit that. I, I, this morning, singing those songs, my hand went up. I just, the goodness of God, the praise team could sing that every Sunday, and I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I know a lot of people want to try other songs. Uh, just a, a wonderful moment to remember. Go back, go back with me and remember the salvation moment that you experienced. Harold Honer, one of my favorite Scholars, I have a lot of favorite scholars. I like reading them. Uh, he said this, This salvation delivers people who are dead in transgressions and are eternally separated from God and can only expect God's wrath. On the basis of God's grace, one has been saved from God's wrath and continues in God's safe keeping. Ties right back into the word. It's like God says he sees us in the sea of sin and despair, trying to tread water, and God says, son, I want you to go down there, and I want you to rescue that person. And God comes down through Jesus Christ and rescues that person. And they, when they got him on the boat, he was just so excited. They gave him water. They gave him food, everything he needed. And, uh, of course, all the cameras were there, and they were talking with him, and uh, the, they saved me. Wow. It's a good image. It's a, it's a good reminder of where we, where we came from. And, ultimately, who we are in Christ. <clears throat> Paul mentions the word faith, which completes this great, what I like to call, triad. For by grace, God's kindness, you have been rescued. How does this happen? It happens through faith, pistis. And this word means to, this is a two-pronged word. Sometimes in Greek, you may have just one strict meaning. Another time, there's a double designation or even a triple designation to a particular word. Paul uses a very specific pointed word here. So it is true, we are saved by faith. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
But Paul uses this word very pointed. He could have, he could have used different uh, terms for faith, but he chose this one. It does mean to trust in the good news. And we know what the good news is, right? The good news is that Jesus Christ went to the cross, paid for our sin. And when we trust in him, our sins are forgiven. That's absolutely true. But there's a second prong to this word, pistis. And that means not only to trust in Jesus Christ, but secondly, from that stem, you find the idea of becoming a follower. So it's not only trusting in Jesus, it's then spending your life becoming a follower. That's the way faith acts. That's the way faith works. Uh, Jesus, he spent three years with his disciples, basically, and what Jesus was doing was he was saying, if you want to be my disciple, which is a tell me in Greek or in uh, Hebrew, a tell me is somebody that wants to be like the teacher. And they said to Jesus, good teacher, tell us what you think. Or good teacher, tell us this. The, the purpose of becoming a disciple was much more than just salvation. Now, pastor, are you saying that it's salvation plus works? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm talking about the intent of the word faith. Faith means to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then there has to be a transition to where I want to become like the master. Jesus said in Luke 6:40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like the teacher. The whole Christian life by being saved by grace, the whole issue there is that when I do that, Christ comes into my heart and now I want to be like Jesus heard a young man, uh, the Good News Radio, uh, young guy, when I say young, he was in his 30s, uh, talking about leadership and how leadership, they spend tons of money on leadership and leadership is still no better than it was when they started spending this money. He said, the reason is, the issue is leaders are also followers. Leaders follow Jesus and then the congregation follows Jesus. So we're all on this journey of following Jesus. And he said, and it really, he, he was from Africa, and I, I loved his voice. And he was a young guy. And he put all of us old pastors. I looked at the guy next to me. I can't remember his name. He's a pastor in another church. He said, wow. I said, that was a home run. Because ultimately, leadership is becoming like Jesus. Ultimately, the Christian life is becoming like Jesus. So if we say that we're saved by grace, and yet there's no sign that that salvation was genuine, it will eventually show in the life of the believer or the unbeliever who claims to be saved. Yeah, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like the teacher. 
Jesus said, I want you to be like me so that the world will know what I'm like. And so to be saved by grace through faith also has the idea of wanting or desiring to be like Jesus. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Do you want to be like Jesus? That's a, that's a high calling. It absolutely is. And, and, and yet, I love this verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It does something inside of me and reminds me that no matter what happens, no matter may what come my way, uh, no matter what life throws at me, I know that I am saved. Back when, I don't share personal things a lot, particularly deep things. And I remember, I might have said this, I don't know, you get older, you forget stuff, but uh, I was in Bible college. And I remember in Dr. Windsor's class, when he put an outline on the board and said, this is, this is kind of a model of how the sermon should look. I looked at that outline, never seen that before. I was really, I was young by today's standards. And at that moment, I just shut my eyes and I said, Lord, make me the best preacher that I can be. And so from that point forward, I wanted to be the best speaker for God that I could be with his help. Those are benchmark moments. That was a benchmark moment for me, and I just I fell in love process and and how to develop it and just kept going with it. Peter O'Brien mentions this faith. If God's grace is the ground of salvation, then faith is the means by which it is appropriated. A faith itself cannot be a a meritorious work. It is the response which receives what has already been done in Christ. So when we trust in Jesus Christ, that is not a work in and of itself. That is, wow, I see the message of the cross, and I'm going to trust in it, and God saves us. That's awesome. Faith is not a work. It is a response to something that God has already revealed to us, and we go, wow. Amazing. And this, we're in verse, we're still in, uh, we're in verse 8. This is not of your own doing. This is not of your own doing. So, He's saying that even the faith that we have is not of our own doing because it's in opposition to that word faith. And this faith is not of your own doing. And if we go back, if, if you would, and I highlighted this, chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, let me, let me read it. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, trans, in our trespasses in the sea of sin, he made us alive together with Christ. 
For by grace you have been saved and raised us up in, with him, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. That's why it's not a meritorious work. It's because God took the initiative. If God didn't take the initiative, we would be in all kinds of trouble. But God gave us this wonderful grace and salvation. And it's not by works. Even though when we get to verse 10 next week, we're going to talk about works. Which... I know a lot of people that can quote this verse, but then they miss the verse behind it. And I think it actually capsizes, or puts it all together, if you will, uh, verses 8 and 9. It is the gift of God. Doron. That's the word there for gift in Greek. And that means something that is given or granted. Much like uh, Joyce yesterday had a big birthday party up there. Big event, big celebration. Kind of funny thing. I, I brought Joyce up. They wanted me to speak. And it was kind of like two minutes before Craig goes, Pastor Mike, would you say something? I so I got up and I had Joyce next to me and I said, uh, Joyce, how long have you been with us? Six, seven years, something like that. And, I, and then I said, is there any pastors out here that would like to take her off my hands? Yeah. No, nobody raised their hand. I, quite, quite amazing. It's not by works. It's not by works. Ergon, or task. And the problem is, we like doing. There's a difference between doing and being. Huge difference. Of course, everybody knew I was kidding about Joyce. She's wonderful been very gracious but it is a gift you received a lot of cards yesterday a lot of people gave you a gift and you received that gift and it was a wonderful evening God gave us the gift of salvation to enjoy it's a gift that is given to us it's something that we do not earn I hope this video clip is loud enough, but... It's a leopard. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 Rabbi you cannot... It's disease, you can't... Please. Please. 
Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. Seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. But what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Yeah, that's really a, a perfect example of God's grace and action, and then Jesus said, go show yourself, and then offer an offering. The wonderful thing about Jesus is he will take us in no matter what condition we are in. It doesn't matter. You may be a drug addict, you may be all kinds of things, but when you come to Christ, he cleanses you and forgives you all of your sin and gives you that gift of salvation. And then we move on in the rest of our Christian walk. Yeah, quite, quite amazing. God's nature is he's loving. God's nature, nature is he is loving, he is gracious, he is kind. Unlike human nature. Now look at verse 9. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We have this, uh, well, this word ergon is the word for doing something, uh, thinking that you can maybe earn your way to salvation. So this is how a lot of people look. They go, well, you know what? As long as I'm good and my good outweighs my bad, that is going to get me into heaven. I'm a good person. I've heard that a lot. I'm a good person. Let me tell you, there's a lot of good people that are spending eternity separated from God because they've never humbled themselves and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
I'm not telling you to go out and don't do anything. Far from it. Uh, faith means to believe and also to become. I guess that's the best way to say it. Believe and become like Jesus. But there are people out there, and one of the first things I shoot back on them with is, well, then, if you could earn your way to heaven and that your good outweighs your bad, why did Jesus come in the first place? Well, he came in the first place because that doesn't work. Even our best is as filthy rags before a holy God. And so it requires something on God's part to redeem us. And he did that by sending Christ to die on the cross to pay for your sin and mine and that of the whole world. Those who come to him by faith receive God's grace and they are saved. Sozo, they are not only an action in the past, but it continues to the present. For by grace you have been saved. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And the purpose for that, so that no one may boast. Kalhalomai. Kalhalomai, that means to express a high degree of confidence in oneself. When I was a kid growing up, um, I was really into boxing. I was a big Joe Frazier fan. Maybe... Maybe it was because my last name was Frazier, I don't know. But I was a big Joe Frazier fan. Uh, and there was, there was this guy, Muhammad Ali. And when I was a kid, I didn't really care for him. Uh, kind of a, a little short story here. Uh, this was February 25th, 1964, the great Sonny Liston uh, was knocked out by Muhammad Ali. Uh, the reason I didn't really particularly care for Muhammad Ali was he would get in front of the cameras, I'm the greatest of all time. You can't hit what you can't see. And he was just always talking, and I was like, the thriller in Manila, I was like, Joe, knock his jaw in. <laughs> Yeah. Fast forward. That was when I was a little kid. And I used to listen to the fights on the, on the radio. And Joe Frazier in that fight with Muhammad Ali did break Ali's jaw. So he didn't do too much talking after that, at least that point. 1980, I'm in Germany. Uh, sitting around a room with a lot of people watching Larry Holmes and Muhammad Ali. Ali well past his prime. And I remembered this image. The fight was scheduled for 12 rounds. In the 10th round, Muhammad Ali sat in his chair and he couldn't answer the bell. Larry Holmes basically beat up on Ali for 10 rounds. It was said that Ali should have never been in the ring that day because he was past it. Howard Cosell called it an embarrassment that such a great fighter would be diminished in this way. 
people will sometimes say, I'm the greatest in their hearts. I can do this. I don't need your Jesus. But eventually, 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 they run out of gas. And the reason they run out of gas is they have nothing in here that sustains them through their life. That event right there, I actually felt halfway through that fight, I was like, please stop this. And I actually felt bad for Muhammad Ali. See that great fighter that I once just wanted his jaw broken. To see him sitting there beat was a great champion. He should have never gone in the ring. He was no longer the greatest. The greatest only lasts for a short time, and then somebody else comes along. And let me say this. If you're not saved today, today would be the day to come down here at the altar. I'll pray with you. One of the deacons will, will pray with you. And you can receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and mean it in your heart and be saved and then get up from this moment, move out and try to become like Jesus every day. Because the verse after this next week that we're going to look at for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Paul said that because of the word faith. To believe and to become. Let me encourage you. If you have not trusted in Christ, those of you that are watching, if you have not trusted in Christ, make today the day of salvation. best decision you'll ever make.